Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode, I had the lovely privilege of sitting down with eating disorder therapist Harriet Curry. Today, we speak all about Harriet's experience of binge eating disorder and how that led to her becoming a therapist. And then we talk about how she works with her clients to navigate the challenges of recovery and then also maintaining that recovery so that life can be free from an eating disorder, which is so, so important and so incredible. So thank you so much for joining me, Harriet. It's it's funny because I um, have been following Sophie for ages and then she shared something and then I saw your page and I was just obsessed. I was like <laughs> scrolling through your page. I was like, oh my God, this girl is amazing. Like I've got to chat to her. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to chat to you today. But I guess just for the listeners, do you want to explain, uh, maybe introduce yourself and just explain the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you firstly for having me because um yeah I've obviously I obviously know of your podcast and Sophie is a really good friend of mine and she speaks so highly of you Emily who's a really good friend of mine um, oh really yeah yeah Emily Andrew she's one of my like yeah really good friends because we oh we, my god yeah so we um we trained together on the same eating disorder practitioner course oh. so that's how me and Emily met and then me and Sophie met on Instagram and um we've we've now like met up a few times and yeah I would consider like both of them like probably one of my, my really good friends um and also just looking at your catalogue of po- like um you know podcast interviews it's just amazing the people that you have on there so I feel really honoured to be here <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so my name's Harriet um I'm a therapist and a coach and I specialise in binge eating um so I started off my I guess my professional journey and training and qualifying in as a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist and that was really cool um essentially using hypnosis in conjunction with other established therapies such as like cbt Um, and then after that i did certification more certifications in cbt acceptance and commitment therapy mindfulness and i always knew that i wanted to work with binge eating and I actually got an opportunity to work with this te- with these teams of um this team of coaches with binge eating they were specifically looking for a hypnotherapist which was really cool um and then I from now it's like okay this is what I want to do so that, that's when I decided to specialize and do my eating disorder practitioner training and because I struggled with binge eating myself for a really long time um and other forms of disordered eating I I just fell it just I just fell straight into it and yeah it's been about three years now and it is the most one of the most rewarding things I've ever done um and I hope that I'll be doing this for a really long time to come that's just incredible that you're really good friends with Sophie and Emily I say oh my god I'm so shocked but like this circle is it's not the biggest circle in the world, is it? <laughs> um, so, no, but that's lovely. And I think that is 
such a testament to this community because mm-hmm. I know myself as well like I have made such good friends um mm-hmm. through like meeting people and, and speaking to people so it's it's so lovely isn't it that like you know you particularly like um yourself and Emily like you've gone through your own eating disorder challenges and then like now you're working in the play uh, in the industry and you're making friends from it as well so that is really lovely yeah. and a big f you to eating disorders <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it's like now we're grouping together <laughs> you have got no leg to stand on um that sounds fascinating your journey sounds really really interesting and I'm so intrigued to hear more about the hypnosis side of things um so I guess shall we maybe start there or shall we start with your own personal journey I don't know what do you think would be more Um, suitable to start with what would you like to go maybe I start my own personal journey and then we can that will naturally transition to what I'm doing professionally um so my my history with my relationship with food started off pretty similar to I think most people's where I wanted to lose weight um, at a very young age because of what we're taught and um, you know in society and I it started off with a quite restrictive and um, restrictive disordered eating behaviors and then within a year I remember I had my first binge and I was, actually, I was reflecting on this today because I obviously knew I was going to be speaking about my journey. And I remember like the first binge I had, I remember standing in front of the fridge. And then the next minute I realized, oh my gosh, I've just eaten all of this food. I don't even remember eating all of this food. And I've, you know, I've eaten food that was like leftovers for my family's lunch and and food that was prepared for like dinner that evening. And I have just like demolished most of it and it was that out of control out of body experience that was really scary and that was when I was probably I think I was 16 so that was like 12 years ago now and yeah at at the time I just thought oh my gosh I need to get back my my ability to restrict food again and I saw that as a superpower that I somehow lost but I need to get that back again and I just couldn't my body wouldn't let me but in that, that period of time I thought that was my body going against me by continually sending these urges to binge and so that happened for I would say until I was 18 um and I remember I kind of I guess semi-recovered by myself I actually went traveling and I went to Australia and I was living in a house share we were working on um we we're working on this farm we we're building a fence <laughs> but anyway um so I was living in this house this farmhouse with these other girls who I've never met before and that really helped my recovery because I couldn't engage in behaviors that I was engaging with before at home and mm-hmm. um, they prepared all our food for us I was constantly with people I shared a room with someone and so that w- was really helpful but I still found myself not feeling comfortable in my body, not liking how I looked, always wanting to be smaller. And so from here, I'd say I really just fell into just dieting and yo-yo dieting and being obsessed with finding the diet that worked, that worked. Um, And so that was when I was 18. And I'd say seven for seven years, I was just 
on and off that diet train, try, always trying to find something that worked, um, always being obsessed with with food. Um, I still, I, I would say I still definitely had binge episodes throughout that seven years. Um, but I didn't, the thing is, I didn't see it as binging because I just saw it as I just can't get a grip on food. And so I didn't really know anything at that point about binge eating, binge eating disorder. I just saw it as I just can't stick to a diet. I just, I don't have the willpower. I don't have the personality. I, I'm a failure. And, and that's honestly just how I saw it. So I never for a second even thought it was anything to do with mental health or anything like that. And I even, I did my degree in psychology and even you know, we didn't do any, um, unfortunately, I didn't, we didn't cover any like eating psychology modules. And so this was back in like 2013, 14, 15. And I felt like eating disorder awareness still wasn't so prominent at that time, especially with binge eating. Um, and then it wasn't until I guess fast forward another like three years I discovered diet culture and I actually realized, oh, wait, so the weight loss industry, the diet industry is actually something that makes money. And they almost like capitalized of people having low self-esteem and wanting to change their bodies. And they have very much, the system, this industry has very much pushed this idea that a smaller body is a better body from all different angles. And that really annoyed me. And it was around the time I was just about, me and my partner were just about to go on a holiday. And I remember he said to me, you know, what diet are you going to do for this holiday? Because that was something that I did. And so that was an, an, an offensive or unusual question because that is what I did, especially with holidays. And I remember being, saying to him, I don't think, I'm not going to diet. <laughs> and he was like, okay, cool. And then I didn't diet. And I remember it was the first holiday that I didn't have a binge. It was the first holiday that I didn't, I actually felt really comfortable with food and my body. And it was just a penny drop moment for me. And after that, I was very much, yeah, like big FU to diet culture. And I want to heal my relationship with food. And it was almost just like this, you know, light has just been like, you know, turned on on all of these beliefs that I had. And I realized these beliefs aren't mine. These beliefs about what a body should look like and you know food being good and bad these aren't my beliefs these have been created and then almost pushed on to people and I'm I have been a victim of that as amongst many people um and yeah and then I guess like my journey really started from there I started around the same time I was training to be the cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist and so all of everything just came together for me to work in this in this area of helping others also heal their relationship with food it's it's really crazy isn't it diet culture I think when you take a step back and you realize how ingrained it is and how just like socially acceptable it is Mm. to be on a diet or not like the body that you have you know like you say your partner just you know, cash, very casually saying to you, what diet are you doing on, before this holiday? Or, you know, I think so many people will do that before they go on holiday. Or I just think about like brides that are getting married. It's like, oh, you know, what, you know, what diet are you doing? But 
it's it's really it's really scary the fact that Mm. it's so ingrained and I think it just shows like the kind of um mentality that we all have around smaller is better because you don't question when somebody goes on a diet like I have a friend who um we went for a walk the other day and her sister-in-law uh sorry her brother is getting married um and her best friend is the sister-in-law and she's gonna be bridesmaid she was like oh yeah I'm just cutting because I want to feel my best on the day and I was like I don't know how to respond to that because yeah I obviously want you to feel your best on the da- that day why does that have to involve being in a smaller body um yeah. and I really struggled with how to respond to what she said because I was like I don't want to be like oh my god like anti-diet culture like force it down your throat but equally I don't want you to feel like you need to be in a smaller body in, and I yeah. want to reinforce that that you have to be in a smaller body to feel better about yourself yeah it, you know what I'll be completely honest I I also find it difficult you mm. know knowing how to respond because it's you know yeah on the one hand I I will never reinforce that smaller is better. So I'm very careful. Like when even when I've caught, I have friends and I have friends who are going to marry this year who are saying, you know, I want to lose, you know, and I would never say, yeah, like, you know, that's a great idea because I don't want to reinforce that. But then at the same time, it's like, this is a message that we, we've been conditioned with mm-hmm. most of our lives. And so it's like, well, can you blame people for feeling that way? And yeah it's it's such a sensitive one and I think when I when I am in those situations I just want to make sure that they know that they're beautiful how they are now Mm -hmm. and and the most important thing is that they're happy and healthy yeah yeah absolutely and I think that is the that is the key isn't it is being happy and then people will say, oh, well, you know, I'll be happier if I'm in a smaller body. And it's like, okay, but let's unpack that and let's think about why yeah. you think that being in a smaller body will make you happy. Because, and it's funny because I was having this conversation, I did a podcast with Emily yesterday and we were having this discussion about alcohol and about food and that often the thing that you think is the problem is not actually the problem and you need to go mm. underneath that. And it's it's like, okay, great. So you can put yourself into a smaller body, but like yeah. what are you trying to achieve from that smaller body is it that you feel that mm. you're going to fit in more you're going to be accepted more like you'll you'll mm. finally be enough or on that sort of thing um and I think that's often really important it's like why do you have that drive and it could just be as simple as like that's what society deems is better and therefore you think that that is better um yeah. and I think it's hard because I always think this like and I don't know I don't know why like you know diet culture is sexy like they've made it this really sexy thing this like really Mm. appealing you know like you know oh yeah go to the gym and train hard and like it's all this like very like mm, like sellable and sexy self-care and you know just kind of making yourself happy it's lovely but it's just not got that same like sexiness to it that that you know it's just like oh you know run yourself a bath or what have you look after yourself and in comparison it's just not got that like Mm. marketing behind it um which I think then makes it even more difficult because naturally I think people do want to feel like sexy and they want to feel good in themselves and we can totally have that without diet culture but it just doesn't grip as much I don't think yeah absolutely it's like when I speak to clients and they they tell me you know they're like just speaking frankly I just want to have a 
normal relationship with food and mm-hmm. <laughs> that isn't yeah you're right that that isn't yeah. when, sexy if you were trying to if you try to market it it's not juicy and aesthetic um but actually I think when you've experienced having an eating disorder and even forms of you know disordered eating you realize actually the reality is not sexy at all always hating your body you know restricting like your favorite foods is actually not what you signed up for yeah yeah and I think for me that's often the difference between maybe somebody that is engaging in diet culture in comparison to somebody that's got like an eating disorder is that somebody with and I guess this this may be not true but the way that I see it is like when people are doing short-term diets they can switch it off Mm. and they can kind of step away from it but when it's an eating disorder it's it's very much takes every moment of your life and I think people often glorify and glamorize eating disorders because of that restrictive element and that's what everybody wants it's you know everyone wants that discipline they want Mm. to be able to restrict the food they're eating um and so if you can do that all day every day then like you hit the jackpot sort of thing um but somebody that's engaging in diet culture and I wanted to come on to talk to you about this as well because I think that you you mentioned it at the start like your restriction was sort of the thing that you saw as the like the the golden behavior like that's what you wanted and then when you started binging it's like oh my god like I can't keep up this restriction um and did you feel like those emotions in terms of oh my god I've just binged now like I'm an awful person like I can't keep my restriction did that then reinforce even more binging down the line yes because it it was it reinforced this drive I had to continue restricting but the restriction was just leading to more binging and then mm. this was this is this vicious cycle that I found myself in, and I know a lot of people who struggle with binge eating. They also find themselves in that same restrict binge repeat cycle. Yeah. Um. And you know, I it's so I think it's really important, yeah, to talk about the fact that yeah, restriction is seen as this more yeah this superpower almost, whereas like binging is seen as embarrassing and shameful. Which is why so many people find it so, so difficult to speak up about binging because they feel so ashamed. And then it, that leads to, you know, you know, being very secretive and like eating in a secret um, and doing all these things that then just because of how it makes someone feel, it's like that feeling of deep distress. That then reinforces the cycle as well. Um, mm-hmm. So the same is you end up in this like real pickle of all these push factors that just reinforce the struggle yeah yeah and I think that's the that's the awful thing about it isn't it in that it's there's so much negative connotation and judgment associated with binging and I think that is even you know depicted in society as well because um I was writing a blog the other day about um like cheat days and mm. and things like that and those sorts of things are so normalized like oh you know you just think about somebody that goes to the gym mm. and it's really restrictive about their diet five days a week and then they have two days or maybe just a day or whatever um, and they eat like so much food and if we 
if we think about it, like that is the amount of food that they're eating and the way that they're behaving is very much like the binge restrict cycle. I guess maybe the element that is different there is that they have a sense of control. And it's, mm. I feel like those sorts of things are very planned in terms of people will say like, this is what I'm going to eat. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's almost to enjoy it. Mm. But I can imagine that if you're somebody that then struggles with binge eating disorder, to see the sort of language used around in that, you know, I'm really like I'm dedicated and motivated in the week. And I'm like, you know, I stick to my meal plan. And then at the weekend, I just let myself go. And, you know, I have all these foods that I wouldn't normally let myself have, but, um, you know, just to enjoy them and stuff like that. And I think that language is so difficult to navigate because one they're saying all about like you know I let myself go and like I went off my meal plan and all of that but also the enjoyment factor related to it because somebody that's got binge eating disorder from what I've heard from people describe it there's no enjoyment there it's very much like you were saying before one minute there was food there the next minute you'd eaten it all yeah yeah it's actually it's, it's it's funny you mentioned this I had a client only a few weeks ago who said to me something that I found re- like very interesting and really important that someone I can't remember what they said they were talking about but someone at the, I think at the gym said to her oh yeah I binge all the time and I, and she said to me you know I feel like you don't it, to that level because otherwise you wouldn't say it so when you're struggling mm-hmm. with binge eating it's so difficult to actually say I've just binged or I struggle with binging and I thought well yeah like that that's a really important point and really interesting and I've had it so many times when I tell people what I do and they say oh I need your help and they say it in a jokey way like yeah you should probably come and see me Harriet and Mm. I don't really know how to respond to that because I'm like oh I don't you know I never want to like doubt what someone's saying but from all the clients I've worked with I know that they would find it incredibly difficult to joke about their binge mm-hmm. or say it in such a casual way um and so I, that is definitely one of the defining characteristics of binge eating versus like overeating is that the shame aspect the the loss of control the deep distress that it that it can give someone and you know, I think the terms get confused because both binge eating and overeating still involve eating a larger quantity of food than what you would consider normal. Um, but the defining characteristics of the loss of control, the shame, the distress is what is what makes that difference between the both. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for clarifying that, because I think you're so right. It is so normalized to just say oh yeah you know I need your help I binge and I've had it the same with um like having anorexia and people are like oh wish I had your self-control mm-hmm. oh you know like you could teach me a few tricks and I'm like my life is falling apart right now like this is not something to be joked about yeah. um but I wanted to ask you a bit more about you mentioned when you like firstly binged and you kind of ate like family leftovers and stuff like that when you were because you said that the binging went on for a couple of years did people in your family or friends or anybody know about it or was it a very secretive thing it was very secretive but and I don't blame like my parents for this because they just didn't understand 
but I remember they were they were annoyed at me at times if I you know of course if I ate the food that wasn't meant for me um because I'm a failure and I remember that's how I felt at the time just because I've lost my I've lost the superpower um and I remember and it sounds it sounds so awful to say now but I remember I wished I had you know anorexia at that time Mm. I was like I I wish I didn't have binge eating this is this sucks you know and I think that's again like this other like kind of weird you know kind of difference where it's like in some aspects like anorexia is like so glamorized but like binge eating never it mm. binge eating is like seems gross and embarrassing and so I've had other people who've also experienced binge eating including my clients say the same thing like I wish I, wish I didn't have this eating disorder which is so mm. it's so sad to hear that yeah but I think whilst it is like you know incredibly sad and you know you could sit here and be like oh god like how could you possibly wish to have one eating sort of rather than the other I get it um yeah because I think that because we live in such a fat phobic like thin obsessed society um I think you know binge eating disorder is seen as like there is definitely a hierarchy in eating disorders and binge Mm. eating disorder is at the bottom and like I'll be honest as well and I was like you know there's been so many times where I've been like thank god I've not got binge eating disorder like I'm I'm, you know I I, yeah and and I think that is that's something that needs to change because those sorts of thoughts and ideas around it like you said they do increase the stigma and the shame and the guilt and just feeling like an absolute failure Mm. um but I guess I question like how how can we change that without the rest of society changing as well because I think it's it's not just something that's in the eating disorder community. I think if if we think about it, the eating disorder community are going to be so much more accepting of the range of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. But without kind of the rest of society not kind of judging people so much mm-hmm. um, and being so fat phobic and stuff, it's it feels like something really difficult to navigate to help people talk more about the fact that they're struggling with binge eating disorder yeah I think for me like what really really helped me personally was understanding diet culture as a system because when I understand when when I understood it in that way that made me feel empowered to break out Mm. and so that's the stance that I often take is I don't want to be just a sheep in society just doing things and believing things just because I'm told to especially when Mm. it's detrimental to my mental health my physical health and I think this is why the way that I use social media is really talking about really talk about my story and my outlook on life because I even get I still maintain this like motivation to have a healthy relationship with food today by by remembering that for me life is about feeling happy with friends and family and laughing and connecting and enjoying social occasions enjoying traveling and 
all of those things wouldn't happen if I still struggled with my relationship with food. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I have this mission to make having a normal relationship with food sexy because the byproduct mm-hmm. of having a normal health uh, relationship with food is having better social occasions, having better holidays, mm-hmm. having a better mood, yeah. all of these things where you just can't have that when you are battling with food day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And realistically, like, you know, if we're going to focus on the term sexy, because it feels like that's a a really poignant thing, like recovery does make you feel so much more sexy because you can be like, you can be confident in your own skin. Like it brings out the person that you are. And I think that in itself, you know, we have this sort of idea, I guess, in society of what sexy is. But actually, like sexy means so many different things. Like everyone's attracted to a different Mm. thing. But I think a fundamental thing is like somebody being confident in who they are. That doesn't necessarily mean somebody like walking to a room and like being able to talk to every single person or get up on stage and sing or what have you. It's being confident in yourself. So whether that is, you know, I'm confident in myself, therefore I'm okay to stand in the corner of the room and not speak to anybody because like I'm confident in myself or I'm confident to walk into a room of full of strangers and start chatting to anybody. Um, that, like, the outcome of recovery from an eating disorder is so much more beautiful and just opens up so much more life to you than an eating disorder ever would do. But I guess that's all well and good. But when you're in the depth of an eating disorder, it can feel so, so unbelievably far away to recover. Yeah. Um and I wanted to ask you about your coaching work that you do and maybe you can bring in a little bit of your personal experience as well in terms of how you went from that guilt and shame and engaging in those eating sort of behaviours to then a life that you know doesn't involve an eating disorder. Yeah well I'll say that the first thing I do so with, with I have a framework um that I, um a binge eating recovery framework and the first pillar if you will is I call it foundations and this is all about really understanding your deep desire about why you want to have a healthy relationship with food and starting to set exciting realistic sustainable goals and I find the reason why that is the first pillar that I guide my clients through is because that is what helps it really does help build like long-lasting change because of course motivation is going to dip and especially when things get tough you think oh my gosh I'm so far away from the end goal Mm -hmm. but then you can always go back to why you started and that really helped me as well is really really truly understanding the deep desire behind why do I want to heal my relationship with food it it goes beyond I just want to stop binge eating it goes beyond that Mm -hmm. that is the surface level goal you want to just stop but why and so really helping people understand why they want to stop and then also part of this pillar is also having a better idea of why why are you caught up with this in the first place why are you struggling with this because if you go into recovery thinking well the reason why I'm here is because I'm I'm just flawed I'm weak I'm a victim. I just didn't have the willpower, and now I've just created this bad habit. Then that's also not very motivating and not very empowering. So, 
also this is part of understanding that the actual reason why you're struggling and the the, the defining um i guess message I, in everyone's story is that it's not your fault there is everyone has a different story but it's not your fault and you're not broken and so once you've covered foundations i would say that is kind of i would say the i always call it the fuel <laughs> the fuel mm. that you put in your car and that is what's going to keep you driven um after that we go into the nutrition pillar and this is really just about ensuring that you're eating regularly throughout the day um because a lot of a lot of people like myself struggled with binge eating because we just weren't eating enough so our body was going into that was using binges as a survival mechanism really um and then also part of the nutrition pillar is also looking at how your current beliefs about food your current perspective on food how you label food so if you're currently using like diet culture language like oh this is naughty this is a naughty treat or like cheat days or uh, even just this is a good food or this is a bad food this is where it's like okay we need to kind of unlearn all of that and mm. really welcome all food and that's something that I always say is like unless you don't like the food unless you're allergic we should put all food on an even playing field um so that's like n- nutrition there's lots of other parts of that as well but I would say those are the two main things um we also cover like food rules and and then we go into triggers and triggers is essentially the best way that I explain it is whatever makes you go from being fine not binging to then being triggered that's what we need to address and so for a lot of people that's an emotion um that is challenging thoughts they might have it might be something in their external world that causes them to use binging as a coping mechanism um so it's really important that we identify that trigger and then we address it um then we move on to body image body image i do consider a, a trigger but it's something that deserves its own its own pillar um and this is really about really starting to again challenge these beliefs about smaller is better um and really really learning to see your worth not just like beyond your body so mm-hmm. what i really trying to help my clients to do is really help them understand that they are so much more than their body and that there's so many components that makes them them and to start putting value into those components um and then the last chapter of my framework is maintaining change and evolving the rest of their life and so i give my clients strategies on how they can maintain the change that they've made at this point um but also one of the really big features that i don't really see that many people talk about um with binge eating because i guess it's this is like a post recovery piece but because binge eating and of course other eating disorders can take so much of your life and and cause you to neglect certain aspects i really believe that part of the recovery process is also getting those things back so mm-hmm. now it's start, it's we're starting to make goals in those other areas so I ask my clients, okay, if we can achieve a career goal or, I don't know, like a, a, a traveling goal or a hobby goal. Like it doesn't have to be huge at all, it can be really small. Let's focus on that because as we know, 
food disorders, eating disorders are so consuming. They consume every aspect of your life. And we have finite space in our mind. So we almost, part of one like recovery strategy is starting to crowd the eating disorder out by introducing these new things that are also important to us um so that's a very very high level <laughs> um explanation <laughs> of my framework <laughs> yeah it, it sounds amazing and I have so many points that I want to discuss um I think you cover such a, a broad array of things and it's it's really good to hear it being done so thoroughly because mm. I think like you said an eating disorder well it, it takes up your whole life like it is all consuming and I think you know particularly with the two elements there that you said at the end with body image mm. and that maintaining change it just completely consume your identity as well and then if you take away that eating disorder whether you take it away you know in small stages day in day out or you just rip off the band-aid and you take it away there's a massive hole mm. and I know for me personally like one thing that I've you know really been struggling with and had so many sessions focusing on in my therapy it's like what am I going to be without it um and you know that's exciting to think what am I going to be without it but it's also like okay but yeah but realistically the question is what am I going to be without it you know and Mm -hmm. I even said to my therapist the other day one of my biggest worries and saying this out loud sounds so silly but like what what am I going to think in my head like if I'm not all consumed about like how many calories am I eating like what food am I eating what impact is this going to have on my body how does my body feel right now are people judging me like when am I going to exercise I said to her I was like is it just going to be silent like I don't think I can cope with that silence and she was like well what do you think happens in other people's heads and I was like uh I don't know she was like well I just kind of noticed the birds and you know I have room for to recognize my surroundings or to think about other people and yeah sometimes thoughts do pop up like oh god I feel a bit full or whatever but I don't have to kind of navigate Mm. them in the same way that maybe you feel like you have to but I think also developing things outside of your eating disorder like you say like career goals or relationship goals and things like that is so important because it gives you that you know you're able to see okay now that I've not got my eating disorder what freedom am I having like what is being freed up in life that I can focus my attention on other things and I think often you know we might go to like big goals there but honestly for me like just being able to engage in a conversation without kind of my mind being like oh what what am I eating later or like how many calories and stuff that's a massive goal to just be able to be in the moment without thinking about anything to do with my eating disorder yeah oh gosh I have so much to say on that because a lot of my clients who stop binge eating they say to me oh my gosh I have so much time <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like that and they say it in, in this way which is like this is a good thing but I'm I'm scared because I have so much time yeah. and what do I and what do I, mean, I do in with this self, it's- that's a trigger because you might be bored or you might have a lot of time and then you start like ruminating about like how do I feel this time oh now I feel guilty that I've got time like you know I could I feel uncomfortable with all this time therefore I could just distract myself and binge yeah exactly exactly and this is why Mm. that whole I do have that final pillar of you know welcoming in other areas of your life and I want to make sure that I can still be there to support my clients in in Mm. that transition and it's I've noticed how much of a difference it's made you know I've clients who couldn't like date throughout their eating disorder 
and then they recover and then they're dating again and of course something like dating can bring up a lot of triggers and and so the fact that I can still be there with my client whilst they like pursue that makes a huge difference in their recovery and you know I'd say even like working on a career goal again it's just it's stuff that can bring up triggers because like, oh I'm stressed or is that competition element and perfectionism comes in so I think it's really really important to include you know other goals within your your recovery to to make sure that you you do feel ready to kind of like to step out into the world again you know with a healed relationship with food um but yeah, it, it's such an interesting one because I've also had a client who mm. said to me, what, what do people think about? And I was like, oh, I think about work, um, think about holidays. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it's not exciting. But... No, I, I just I just have the space to think about what I want to think. And it's actually so funny because I, when I said to my um, therapist, like, what do other people think about? She was like, oh, what do you think people think about? And I was like, well, my partner, sometimes I'll say to him, what are you thinking about? And he'll say nothing. And that terrified me. And she was like... I think he's an exception. That's not <laughs> over common to just have no thoughts. I was like, okay, that's that's good. She was like, I also don't think that your chaotic, your chaotic brain is not just going to switch off. Like it, it might just be like you know, lots of thoughts about other things. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's really important, and you don't often hear people um, working with people post recovery. But like you say, I think that's to me one of like a really really important time because often there's like a few little behaviors that might be ingrained and in order to like get to the root of them you really have to take some time because you can potentially live with those behaviors alongside you but if you want that true freedom those behaviors need to go as well Mm -hmm. um but I also wanted to pick up on the first element that you said about the foundations because I think Often when we're in recovery, it's like, ah, oh, you know, um, like for me, I know I've I've been said like, okay, what are your life goals? And you'd be like, oh, you know, maybe I want to have a baby or like I want to I want to go traveling and, and stuff. And they're all so far away. And also like, okay, I mean, having a child obviously means a lot to some people, but there's stuff that you you can do or you don't have to do. Like they're not sort of tied to you to um to achieve that but I think having those more like everyday goals of like you know you want to stop binging because you want to be able to kind of hang out with your friends and not be thinking when are you guys going home so that I can just eat all these leftovers or you want to be able to go to the gym with your friend and have a fun time and work out and not be thinking I need to work out more than you and I think you know you you said um, I think earlier about like friends and family and connection means so much to you and when I switched my mindset from I want to recover because you know in five years time I want to achieve this thing which ultimately when you're sat eating a sandwich or whatever you're doing that's so difficult to think this sandwich is going to help me achieve that thing in five years time Mm -hmm. but when it's like I'm sat here right now on my own eating um when I could have been at a friend's but like I just I was so anxious I couldn't go to have those everyday goals Mm -hmm. um and even little things just like I want to be able to go to the shop and I want to be able to do a full shop and come home and I just want to be able to have the food in the house or like I want to 
to be able to go out with my colleagues after work and not be thinking I need to get home so that I can you know stick to my routine or to restrict or whatever I think when you think about those everyday things that you're missing out on for me that was what really motivated me to be like okay I'm missing out on a hell of a lot right now yeah absolutely it's it's the little things it's like um it's oh I go to my parents house every Sunday and a lot for a lot of people that's a that's a trigger because um it I, I for some reason had a lot of clients who's a trigger they I see my clients are um all adults so I don't see people under 18 um and majority of them do live out of home and they do find going back home a trigger because some that is for a lot of them how their eating disorder developed mm. and that's like the first place where they you know notice that realize that they weren't happy in their body anyway so like a lot of my clients when they go back to see their parents they just want to like have a normal day and it to be mm. about family and so it's really is about those small things you know your your visit to see your family or your social occasions just you know being able to have the same meal as your partner being able to allow your partner to make your meal for you you know yeah I, one of I do a lot of like um behavioral experiments in my work as well um to help clients like overcome fears and certain and like harmful beliefs and um a lot of the behavioral experiment I seem to do quite a lot is I want you to choose I want you to allow your partner or your friend to choose your meal for you and mm. um, choose the restaurant and choose the meal and that is really to help them like let go of control um but also for them to just realize that they're allowed to just let go and be more mm. relaxed and everything will be okay if they do that um where normally it's such a it can even just eating out can just be such a just so stressful mm. yeah but it should be something that you know I remember a few because my partner loves going out for dinner like loves mm. trying new cuisines and stuff mm. like that and I think that's actually something that that we have in common is our recovery really kick-started when we went traveling mm. um because I went to Indonesia and I didn't have a choice like the food over there was different to what we had in the UK there was no calories on the menu and I we didn't have the facility to cook so I had to eat out for breakfast lunch and dinner and that for me it really kick-started my recovery because I just had to do it um but I did the same thing it was my birthday last weekend and my partner cooked for me on Friday and then also cooked for me on Sunday which was my birthday and it was the Friday experience was much more terrifying than the mm. Sunday because the Friday it was just the two of us whereas on the Sunday my parents were there as well so I just like completely distracted myself with them but I noticed myself like you know going over and being like oh what 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 are you doing next and he was just like go away go and sit down like just chat to me from over there I'm cooking and you know what it was terrifying but the fact that he had prepared this meal mm. it was so much nicer than anything that I prepared because he'd actually followed the recipe properly and not cut mm. out different things but the the joy for him as well to be able to cook for me rather than me have to control all of that um it was just so nice and hopefully now that I've done that I can do that more and then be more present and you know have conversation with him whilst I'm cooking and me not feeling anxious and I think that's another thing that 
you know, you, you can live a life where you feel anxious or you do all the cooking and all of that, but is that what you want? Or do you want yeah. to be able to sit down and somebody have been cooked to you, uh, like lovingly prepared you a meal and you just kind of chat and eat the food and it's a celebration of being together rather than the negative connotations that an eating disorder can put on it. Absolutely. And something I also like I say, and I don't know if it, if it does translate well or not, but it's just food is every day. Food, we need to mm. eat to live, right? Every single day. And also food can is such a it can be such a key component of celebrations and like mm. so, you know, social occasions, like big moments that you have, we often do celebrate with food. And so if you have a challenging relationship with food, just imagine how much your life could change if you had a positive relationship with food. Because yeah. it's every it's an everyday thing and it's it's part of such important occasions throughout your life, milestones mm-hmm. that you hit. And so I think going back to what we were talking about, how like sometimes when you're in the depths it feels like there's just no way out and how you are you gonna do it? I think that can also be a motivational component, realizing like, okay, because this is an everyday thing, if I were to have a positive relationship with this everyday thing, then I can can I think about how much that would change every single day of my life essentially yeah wow that I haven't thought about it in that way before but that is such a incredible way of thinking about it because I think I I have thought about it in the sense that like food is something that you I guess I've thought about it in more of like a um like a way of oh you know it's something you have to engage Mm. with so like you need to you need to have a a decent relationship with it because ultimately like you can't not eat um but to to twist that even more and say you know that it is something that you you have the pleasure of doing you know however many times a day and it's it's involved with friends and family it brings people together you know you can have it at celebrations and stuff and how much could you enhance your life Mm. by enjoying those moments you know not every single meal yeah also let's focus on the fact that not every single meal is going to be amazing sometimes it's going to be a bowl of wheat of eggs <laughs> with some milk and it's very functional and that is your bre- a quick breakfast so that you can get to work yeah but also being able to do that to have a meal that isn't perfect that isn't yeah. you know beautifully presented that doesn't kind of hit every single sense in the same way because I know that that's something I've struggled with as well in that if a meal isn't absolutely amazing I see it as pointless but actually it's I think it's being able to rather than focus on the food focus on what it brings to you and kind of like the connection or the things it allows you to do I think once you take it a step further than like the food it kind of produces the impact that that will have on you I'm just thinking about maybe like binging and things like that like those foods can be enjoyed with other people or they can be enjoyed on your own yeah but the binging aspect of it takes all that positivity out of it yeah absolutely and so this is why it's it's so important to say you know you can recovering from binge binging isn't taken away isn't taken away your binge foods and that can be mm. such a trick to even think about, like, you know, the when the foods that people binge on, it's, it's personal to each person, but sometimes they're like, I just never want to see this, this food again. I, I remember I had a discovery call with someone 
about two years ago and they said to me I I want you to stop me from eating crisps like I, I never want to eat them again and I said like, I'm sorry that's not that's not what I do that's not the work I do and they said well and I didn't end up working with this person because that that was their goal and they didn't want to move from that and so it's important to say that you it's not about the food isn't the problem it's how you think about the food it's how you engage with the food but what I'm trying to say is that you can still have those foods but you have them in a positive way you have them with control yeah okay we we all still will overeat from time to from time to time and that's okay but you're going to feel like okay I'm making this decision and it also it doesn't mm-hmm. stay with you for you know days to come it's like oh I do feel a bit full but okay what's what, what, what am I doing next today mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't it's not all consuming it's it's okay you know to to have a larger portion of something sometimes and feel full like that's a very normal experience um I guess just to kind of finish so we spoke there about because I think that some people will be like, what the hell? You're telling me that I can go from binging on this food and literally hating this food so much because it's caused me all this pain to, and there's going to come a day where I can eat it and enjoy it and be able to stop. Mm. How, do you have any sort of like advice that, or like, not maybe advice, but how do you work with clients to get from a point where it's like the major trigger food to, I can have that in the house and I can just come and go with it? Yeah. So I take my clients through like a habituation process and like what on earth does that mean? So essentially it's <laughs> learning to learning almost like taking the trigger out of a food by learning how to be around it on a consistent and regular basis. So okay, let's just use an example of peanut butter because that's one I've worked with many times. Um so let's say peanut butter is your trigger and you're like, I can't have peanut butter in the house because if I do, I'll eat the whole tub and blah 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 blah. so what I would then suggest is we you have that peanut butter but maybe we start off by buying in sachets for example um if you can get peanut butter sachets that is helpful or you just get a smaller portion just so just to start off with and then choosing what you would I'd work with a client with this but we would identify kind of the safest meal the most comfortable meal to have that peanut butter with so let's say you feel like you always binge in the evening that the evening's your trigger time what I would suggest to start off with is that we have this peanut butter in the morning and maybe we have it you know on your toast for breakfast um or maybe we pair that peanut butter with a safe food so let's say your safe food is apples then we can have peanut butter and apples. That's that's a very nice combination. Um, and what I would ask my client to do is to essentially have that peanut butter every single day in a in a way that makes them feel safe and comfortable. And then we would start setting more challenges around it. Okay, so now you feel comfortable with your peanut butter sachets. How about we start to get a smaller tub in the house? And then why don't we start to have that peanut butter for lunch? And then from there, it's like, okay, if you're if the client is progressing well, then maybe it's starting to have that peanut butter for dinner, but making sure they're having it paired with other foods so that they feel satiated afterwards and it's not they're not putting themselves in a triggering situation. Um so essentially it's a very systematic way of getting used to a food again and 
once a client feels like, okay, I actually feel very comfortable with this food, then we can take kind of the, the system out of it. And so it's like, take the structure out of it. Now it's about practicing having this food when you genuinely feel like you want it. Um, and that might be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, that actually might be once a week. That might be every three weeks. It, it depends on each person. But I definitely find that systematic process at the beginning very, very effective so that they can realize and build that confidence. I can eat this food without it, without it turning into chaos. Yeah, amazing. I think that just, it sounds like such a good approach. And I think one like really important thing to notice there is that that will take time yes um it's not just a case of okay I've decided that I'm gonna challenge peanut butter no have I yeah <laughs> bless you <laughs> um yeah I'm gonna challenge peanut butter and therefore tomorrow I'm just gonna be able to have peanut butter and it's gonna be totally fine no. that's probably an unrealistic expectation but would you also say that with your clients do you have to do each individual food each time or does it become something that's almost transferable in terms of the more you realize okay I can have x food around and therefore that's okay does that then mean like y is easier to have around or do you have to break it down into each food yeah very good question I probably should have mentioned at the beginning is that the first thing I would do is ask my clients to write down all of their trigger foods then we rate mm. them out of 10 and um, with 10 being the most triggering zero being not triggering at all and then we would start with the least triggering food first of all so right. we would take it food by food but it will naturally get to a point where the client understands the the process so so well mm. that they will naturally start to bring in other foods and maybe challenge multiple foods at the same time um but I, I found that at the beginning, I think it's pretty imperative actually to start with just one by one because otherwise it's just too overwhelming. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. why we, we also start with the least triggering food because, you know, if we start with the most, I'm probably going to get the response of, no way. <laughs> why did I sign up with you? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth are you doing to me? No, I think that sounds like a brilliant approach. And I think it builds that confidence in you as well, doesn't it? You know, if you start with maybe the least triggering, like, oh, I've done that. Therefore, I can start doing something that just feel a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Um, I think that sounds like an excellent approach and just shows that like it is completely doable. Yeah. Um, I think often it can feel like you know a dream world um but it is completely doable yeah um just with time and yeah. I think you have to have compassion with yourself that these things do take time and you're you are relearning your relationship with food and your body at the end of the day um and I think that the fact that you have that nutrition element of ensuring somebody's eating regularly is so important because I'm always find it so funny or not funny but like when you talk to people about binge eating and you're like okay yeah so the one of the core things that you need to do is eat regularly and they're like eh but like yeah. I'm I mean way too much like why would I start to eat regularly and it's like because you're eating so much because you're so restricting uh mm-hmm. you're restricting yourself all the time that you you then binge because your body is like oh my god give me some food yeah honestly like I you know it the general consensus is three meals 
one to two snacks a day and sometimes when I say that I have you know my uh, clients at the beginning they're like oh my gosh that's too that's too much it's too much and I and for me I I I had the same reaction with Mm -hmm. that's so much food but now I I'm like wow that's the perfect amount (laughs) I'm I'm fueled all day um and so it is a mental it's a big mental barrier to get over but once someone is over it it can feel very normal very quickly yeah absolutely yeah and for me I'm like that's my bare minimum like (laughs) come on I need you some days I need to weigh more than that yeah um Harriet it's been honestly such a pleasure I could chat to you so much more I just looked at the time and was like oh my god it's been (laughs) over an hour um yeah it's been so lovely to chat to you thank you so much where can people go to find out more about you and the work that you do yes so you can find me on instagram it's harriet curry underscore and you can also find me on tiktok but it's the other way around it's underscore harriet curry um so try (laughs) with an underscore either before or after my name and you'll you'll find me um and then my website is harrietcurry.co.uk um if you want to check out some of my services and I have a few freebies that you can download as well um so check that out um but yeah I would I would be happy for any dms and questions or anything you want to ask um always open for that and you know spreading the message around why having a healthy relationship with food is super sexy Hey, yeah, absolutely. So glad you got that in the end. Um, yeah, brilliant. Maybe that's what we'll have to call this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Harriet. It's been so lovely. Thank you so you. much for having me. It was amazing. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.